My ultimate goal is freedom and it is having an impact on the recruitment industry. And the most gratifying thing for me is when I'm able to bring someone on on my team, coach them and mentor them, and I see them blossom and I see them able to enjoy a lot more freedom and autonomy than they would get almost anywhere else. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My special guest today is George Atuahene, who joins us from Houston, Texas. George is the founder and managing director of Kofi Group, which is an executive search firm helping early stage startups hire software engineering and machine learning talent. George has placed professionals ranging from mid-level software engineers to VPs of data science. And he's bootstrapped the Kofi Group from the beginning, reinvesting profits to grow the company. In 2018, he personally billed $500,000 in perm fees and decided to shift his focus towards building recruitment teams around the country. He currently leads two teams, one in San Francisco, Silicon Valley area, the other in New York City. Outside of work, George loves spending time with his wife and family, competing in taekwondo tournaments, and reads books about investing, economics, and philosophy. Welcome, George. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We have a lot in common, in particular, the love of reading and learning. Um, what are you reading right now that you can recommend to me? Oh, yeah. There's the uh, take your pick. I've got uh, a stack of books here, and I love to read multiple books at the same time. I just finished uh, uh, reading Good to Great by Jim Collins. I'm rereading Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And uh, 12 Rules for Life was great by Jordan. All right. Nice. An eclectic mix there. I, I, My brother actually got me Never Split the Difference for my birthday, but I haven't read it yet. It's sort of, uh, I, I've got a couple of bo- other ones I want to get through first. What do you like about that one? Oh, it's... Uh, what- it's what what's not to like. <laughs> it's it's packed with content, but I okay. I really like um, uh, how how Chris Voss designs or or not designs but describes what negotiation is. And I think my my understanding at first was negotiations when you're in a sales environment or when you're trying to haggle or barter or or get your way in a business context. But what he says is anytime you're in a situation where you need someone else to do something or cooperate with you, that is a type of negotiation. So it was it was really a paradigm shift for me and, and helped me to think of everything as a negotiation and, and how I can create win-win situations with everyone, not just in a business context. Awesome. All right. I, yeah, I will definitely check that out. One to put on your list. Have you read Atomic Habits by James Clear? No, not yet. What's that about? Uh, so this book is the best sort of personal development or business book I've read in a decade. I, it, it has literally changed my life, George. Um, definitely check it out. It's, um, it's about how, you know, obviously human beings are creatures of habit, right? And we're continuously operating on, um, on autopilot. So the, the, the things we do day in and day out are, are governed by these sort of automatic behaviors that we don't really think too much about. And of course, some of them are great habits. Some of them are, are neutral and some are bad habits. And of course, you know, I kind of knew this intellectually and I've read lots of, you know, self-improvement books before. But the cool thing about this is it's, it's really based on science of how do you design your life based on adopting more positive habits and, and, you know, getting rid of things you don't want. So for me, for example, you know, I've, it, I've just started doing lots of things that I, I never did before, like running, doing like exercising a lot more. Um, I've made some real positive shifts and, uh, so yeah, definitely check that one out. Sounds interesting. Sounds like Mm -hmm. a cross between maybe, uh, having a positive mental attitude and, and neuroscience. Yeah, exactly. It's, but it's more than the positive mental attitude because that's, kind of what I, I've always had that, but it gives you really specific techniques for adopting new positive behaviors other than relying on willpower, um, which is not sustainable. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, that's, that's when I really enjoyed. Yeah. I'll add it to the list. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, how long have you been doing Taekwondo? Oh, on and off, maybe about, uh, six or seven years now. 
I started back when I was in high school for a few years and then um, took a long break and then started again about two years ago. What's it like now doing it as you know, uh, uh, an older person rather than a teenager. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think I took a lot of things for granted then, but now it, it requires a whole lot more stretching and warm up to prevent injury. Right. Um, and, uh, I think I'm taking it a whole lot more seriously now. I'm a lot more dedicated than I was. I think in high school, it was just pure passion and excitement and, and that only takes you so far, but now I'm yeah. looking at it as uh, as something I'm going to be committed to for at least the next 10 years or so. Cool. It hurts a lot more now though, right? Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I would say it hurts, but it's just my cardio isn't as good as it was then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so no kidding. It's a lot more tiring. Yeah, I've got to be more intentional about my diet, my rest and, and recovery and and the ice baths and all that stuff. Wow, ice baths. That sounds like serious stuff. I um, I took Taekwondo when I was a teenager as well. And um, I had a really great teacher, but unfortunately he moved away and then I didn't click with the next teacher and I kind of gave it up. Recently, I've tried uh, BJJ, although that's yeah. off under the current circumstances. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to really, when we're able to, I'm going to give that a serious... Uh, serious go do you actually compete yeah yeah absolutely wow. uh, just at a local level you know yeah. maybe i think in the next couple of years i'm gonna try to get to the the state level if i've got more time to put in the training but um i love competing that's that's my favorite part is the you know in in most martial arts you've got forms or or kata or the patterns that you learn and then you've yep. got sparring or or contact or the fighting and I much prefer the latter. Wow, awesome. So what, if any, parallels are there between competitive martial arts and recruiting? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, and if you look at the the values that are taught in Taekwondo, we've got something called the tenets of Taekwondo, and that's courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, indomitable spirit. And I think all of those translate really well, not just to recruiting, but but the business world in general right? Self-control so that when you reach a level of success, uh, the success doesn't own you, right? You're, you're in control of everything. Courtesy, uh, making sure that you, you treat everyone the right way and with respect and make a good first impression. Integrity, perseverance, those kind of go without saying. So I think there are a lot of parallels. Fantastic. I love it. Um, by the way, you were referred to me by our mutual friend, Justin Satterfield. So shout out to Justin. Yeah. Um, Justin's great. We yeah, used to work he, together at a at a large national firm. Okay, and how how did you kind of um, are you still in touch with them? How, how how well do you know each other? Absolutely, I, I think um, you know I consider Justin a friend. Um, we don't get the chance to. Uh, we've been trying to to meet up, but obviously with uh, with the constraints currently, you can't can't do much of that. But right. we, we spoke maybe about a, a month or two ago, and uh, he's only a couple hours away. So I think once once this whole uh, virus situation ends, we're gonna we're gonna grab coffee again. But he's someone who I I'm definitely making a concerted effort to keep in touch with. He's got a great mindset, very ambitious, and we have a lot of things in common. Absolutely, his episode, which was episode number five. Of the resilient recruiter was is still one of the most popular. Actually, uh, it was a really really great session. Uh, I'll link to his episode in the show notes if anyone wants to check that out as well. If you haven't already, George, could you like tell us the story of you know your own uh, personal journey, how you got into recruiting and and uh, you know and into sales? Yeah, yeah. So um, when when I you know, I, I didn't really grow up uh, knowing about about sales or recruiting like like most people. Uh, my family's originally from from Ghana, West Africa. Came to the states when I was uh, about three or four years old, and uh, I was I was brought up with a mindset that there are really a few fields that you you really want to look at as a long term career, um, and the rest are kind of like you know not not as important or shouldn't be a priority and it was really focused on the medical field engineering or the legal field 
those are pretty much your your three options. <laughs> so, you know, I was uh, looking back. I can see how my my parents were strategically gearing me towards the medical field, um, all the way up to to starting college as a double major in biology and chemistry, which I hated. Um, and and I think that was really the turning point for me because. In the back of my mind or the on the inside, I was always curious and intrigued by entrepreneurship. Didn't really, you know, have the right training or the right resources, but it's something I was always drawn to. And uh, that's that's where the sales connection came in. So I decided to to leave college uh, after the first year and go into sales full time. Was in B two B and B two C wireless sales and did pretty well there. And uh, was actually introduced um, through a family friend to a guy named Robert who mentored me not only in sales but helped me to start an affiliate marketing business when I was around 18 or 19 years old and did that for several years. So I think the combination of of that and my sales experience really prepared me for recruitment. And I found out about recruitment kind of by, by happenstance. My girlfriend at the time was interviewing at different companies and and she found out about recruitment and as we were talking about it it sounded more and more interesting to me um so i decided to give it a shot and through my connections landed at a a large national firm and uh the rest is history wow that's awesome so wait take me back um so your parents were immigrants and you um were very young when you moved to the states um your parents obviously value education and, oh, yeah. they, you know, they wanted you to become a pro- professional. And, um, what was that? What was the basis of that? Like that? I, I think from a previous conversation, you said they're both like have multiple degrees and stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad has uh, a PhD. In, in fact, if you look at all of his education, it's probably the equivalent of two PhDs. Oh, gosh. Um, and you know he used to be a uh, used to be a teacher. He taught French, taught a couple other things, mm-hmm. and uh, now he directs uh, the chaplains program at a at a hospital system here in Texas. And then oh. my mom's in the medical field as well. So I think they they've had they were brought up with a tremendous respect for the medical field. And yeah. and looking back, I can I can totally understand why they wanted me to do that. It's a very quote unquote safe route. If you will, right? If you follow the system, there's a certain level of uh, of comfort and support. Um, and entrepreneurship is is kind of the wild card area to go into, right? You know, you can either be really successful, or you can be like 99% and and not be successful. So it's a it's a huge risk. And I think any parent wants to make sure their their kid is successful and wants to to put guardrails in place to make sure they have the best chance. Of, of making it in life. And, and that's what they were doing. Uh, but, but at a certain point, I just had to be true to what was in my heart and what I was called to do. And I really think I was, I was built to be an entrepreneur. I'm not, not designed to be uh, an employee long-term. I'm a horrible employee at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I feel the exact same way. So you got a year into university and realized this is not what you wanted to, to be doing and you, yeah. you quit university. How did your parents react when you told them that news? Oh, uh, you know, first reaction was not positive, you know, and uh, I, I broke it to them softly over time to try to, you know, condition them and, and uh, uh, let them down softly, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as, as best I could. You know, I, I was on I was put on conference calls with other family members telling me why I needed to go back and all, all this and that. So it was, it was definitely a struggle. But after they saw that I was very determined to, to go a certain way, they decided to just throw their support behind me, which is great. Um, and, uh, and I think ever since, I think looking back, they're, they're pretty, pretty happy with what I've done so far. Absolutely. Well, how could they not be proud of you now, George? It's, uh, but you know, that's what parents, your parents want the best for you. Right. And so they're, you know, according to their own values and beliefs and, and, um, aspirations. So, uh, so that's great that they're, you know, they're behind you now. Absolutely. Um, And I've got, got two younger siblings that, uh, that are doing great in school. So I can kind of 
shift the attention towards them. <laughs> so the <pressure laughs> Don't worry about me going to school. Yeah, my sister got an MBA, you know, great job, you know, let's look at that. And I'm going to do my, my business stuff over here. Awesome. All right. So then you you got into recruitment and you realized you're, tell me that story. You realized you were good at it. How long did you work for this national firm for? Yeah. So that my first stint in recruitment was just about 11 months. And, and actually I had a slow start. I yeah. didn't realize I was good at this until probably the, the 10th or 11th or 12th month in recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I toughed it out for the, I think it took me about six or seven months to close my, my first deal or make my first mm-hmm. placement. But what I did in those first six or seven months um, was was really what set me up for the rest of my career, I think. Um, and that is sitting down with all of the, the top producers or really experienced recruiters and just listening, asking good questions, learning from them, uh, learning from them directly and indirectly, uh, down to the the minute details, you know, how do they do business development? How do they recruit? How do they prospect? How do they craft emails? You know, I just I treated it as a science and wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. And I think I worked for the first couple years in recruitment. I worked six or seven days a week and learned six or seven days a week as well because I just wanted to accelerate my growth and, and set myself up properly. Awesome. George, we, we have so much in common. The, um, something I learned from Tony Robbins when I was like, I don't know, 17, I would listen to the original personal power audio cassette program. And, uh, you know, the, one of the philosophies was the power of modeling. So, yeah. you know, identify people who already are good at what you, or you, they have what you want or they're achieve, generating the results that you want to achieve. And then, you know, interview them and find out what are specifically are they doing? What's their mindset? What are their behaviors? What is their decision process? And then if you, you know, uh, follow a similar pattern of thoughts and behaviors, then you're going to be able to get similar results. So I, I did the same thing in, in my first couple of recruitment jobs, you know, looking around, identifying people who are good at certain things and then, you know, so one guy uh, who, you know, was winning retained assignments and I, I was only doing contingency and I could see the power of that. And I was like, you know, I have to learn what this guy knows. And, uh, you know, so asking people for lunch or, you know, can I buy you a coffee and uh, just picking people's brains continuously. And actually that was sort of the genesis of this podcast was I was already a huge fan of interviewing people who are successful and, you know, I've done it continuously for, for more than 20 years. And I just thought, why don't I actually record these conversations and then, you know, share them with, uh, with a wider audience? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I, I love what you're doing here. And, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins as well. I read, uh, Waken the Giant Within a few times and I've heard a lot of his, uh, his podcasts and watched some videos by him. And I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of truth in what he says. And, uh, Napoleon Hill talks about it as well, right? With his, I don't know if you've read Master Key to Riches, but he talks about a mastermind alliance with people that are where you are in life or people from the past that have been where you are in life and just become a student of their habits, their, I like to call it decision-making frameworks. I read another awesome book recently called Principles by Ray Dalio, and it's all about decision-making frameworks and how you can systematically build systems and and make decisions based on logic and not emotion and looking down from your higher level self. So I I love that that train of thought. Absolutely. Yeah, Ray Dalio, that's another that's another good one. So going back to your early beginnings in recruiting, you weren't immediately successful, but you were, you know, working super hard, you were hungry to learn. Uh you made it work for yourself. Then at what point did you decide you were going to start up your own firm? Yeah, yeah, good question. You know, so I was I was about three and a half years in, and this is this is when uh, Justin and I uh, worked together indirectly. He was on a different team, but we were at the same company, and I just had a lot of lot of frustrations with uh, with that company. They were very rigid in their their schedule, rigid in their work location. Um, comp plan was okay. I felt it could be better. 
Um, and then I had some clashes with management, with their management style. Once again, I'm a horrible employee. <laughs> you know? So I think all of it came to a head after those, those, uh, those three and a half years. And I said, you know what? Let me, let me go out and look at some other opportunities. Let me see what's available. So I interviewed with, with at least a dozen other firms and I just heard a lot of the same, I heard a lot of the same stuff. You know, a lot of a lot of promises that you could come in and, and quote unquote run your own business. But you know, when you talk to the people that are actually working there, the recruiters, you get different stories, you get mixed messages, you have high turnover and all that stuff. So you said, you know what? I, I said, you know what? Um I've got the business experience. Uh I believe in my ability to uh to sell and to recruit. Um I've always maintained great relationships with my candidates. Uh, back when I was in, in B2B wireless sales, my last role was 100% commission with no base salary or no draw. It was truly sink or swim. If you don't close deals, you don't eat. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very comfortable with my, my sales ability. So I said, you know what? I'm going to bet on myself. I've got some money saved up. Uh, let's do this. Um, and started Kofi Group with the intent of just being a, a solopreneur and running the business myself and running a desk, but very quickly realized how I could multiply my success and impact more people by building a platform that solved the same issue that I had at that national firm. Solved it for who? The other people who might wish to join you? Yeah, for for experienced recruiters. Got it. Got it. Okay. So when did you, when did you start, uh, when did you launch Kofi Group? January, 2017. So 2017, what was your first year like? First year was rough. It was very similar to uh, uh, my first couple of years in recruitment. You know, it was just head down, working. Um, I worked even harder. I would literally get up um, because I had, you know, I have a home office. Um, I love working remotely. Um, so I would get up first thing in the morning, get ready for about 10, 15 minutes, get to work. And then work until I can't work anymore. And that was usually maybe 11 p.m., 12 p.m., 1 a.m., as long as it, as long as it took to get the results I wanted to get. And I did nothing but work for the first couple of years. I barely went out. Wow. So wait a second. You would have thought I was quarantined. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're, you you were quarantined before you needed to be. That's right. Okay. What is motivating this, George, to, to like, you know, cause some people might argue, but George, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. Like I want to start a business to have more freedom and you're yeah. actually, you know, you're working even harder, but with less security. Um, what was the goal? Like, what were you trying to achieve by working so hard? Good question. And, and my goal, my ultimate goal is freedom and it is yeah. having an impact on the recruitment industry. Um, and, and the most gratifying thing for me is when I'm able to, to bring someone on, on my team, coach them and mentor them. And I see them blossom and and I see them able to enjoy a lot more freedom and autonomy than they would get almost anywhere else. So that, that's a big driver for me. But to, to the point you made before, you know, if someone wants to start their own recruitment firm and they expect to have freedom in the first couple of years, I tell them not to do it. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not a good idea. If you're running a desk in a national firm, you've got, if you're running a full desk, you've got two full-time jobs, right? You've got business yeah. development, account management, and then you've got recruitment. Yeah. Um, when you're running a business, you've got 10 full-time jobs. Right. You have to do recruitment, business development. You've got to do marketing. You've got to do uh, tech support. You've got to do accounting, bookkeeping, uh, just overall financial management. You've got to do operational management. You've got to look at the, the legal components and ramifications. You've got to do paperwork. Paperwork itself might be a full-time job. Um, so that, that does not equal freedom in the first couple right. of years. But when you, when you start to get to the freedom phase, which I'm, I'm getting a taste of now, is when you're able to put effective systems in place mm-hmm. that allow your business to run almost autonomously. But it takes time to get those systems in place. So I want to get to that in a second. There's two things that we need to pick up on. One is the idea of these systems and how you've organized yourself and your, your, your 
firm. Number two is your um, team building and, and what that's all about. Yep. Um, but first, you know, you, in, uh, in your second year in business, billing 500K is phenomenal. Um, how did you pull that off? Yeah, yeah. It goes back to what I was saying before. It's mm-hmm. just hard work. Yeah. You know, I think recruitment um, at a very basic level is not a complicated field. Um, we're, we're connecting people. <clears throat> you know, it helps to have a genuine passion in the sector that you're recruiting in. Mm-hmm. And it helps to be a people-focused person. Those things will help you. But without hard work, those things are not going to mean anything. So I just put in the work. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm willing to put my work ethic against anybody else. I, I'm not, I'm not willing to allow anyone else to outwork me. So paint me a picture, George. You're, you're working super hard. Um, you're, you've, you've chosen a niche that you're passionate about. By the way, could you say, let's, Say a little bit more about that. Like, what are the types of people you're placing, and w- what types of companies? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we focus on early stage VC backed startups in San Francisco, New York City, and Austin, Texas. And these are, you know, high growth, high potential companies in the SaaS field, AI, uh, fintech, biotech, health tech, you name it. Um, and we're placing highly sought after software engineers machine learning engineers, site reliability engineers, slash DevOps engineers, um, and everything in between because there's so many different variations of those those fields. Yeah. Um, and we we tend to stay away from your your typical IT or, or corporate type positions. We like to focus on product development type positions, things that are more tip of the spear. And why did you choose that particular niche? Yeah, number one, because we think it's it's the future. I mean, if you look right. at the demand, I think the the statistics are saying that the overall demand in software engineering is going to go up by at least 20% by 2028, but the supply in the labor market is only going to go up by 5%. Right. <laughs> so the demand is outrageous. It's extreme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the demand is outrageous. It's yeah. even in the midst of a pandemic, it's still a candidate-driven market right. in, in tech. Um, yeah. So that's that's the the obvious reason why we went after it. Some of the other things are it's it's uh, it's exciting, you know. Our team just the companies we're supporting are very easy to to throw your support behind. You know, it's it's an exciting field. We've got companies that are uh, uh, democratizing uh, uh, investment management for everyday consumers, or fixing massive problems in the healthcare field. Um, so they're doing things at, at such a scale that it's it's tough to not get excited about it. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I like about working with small, fast-growing firms is, number one, you don't have the big um, talent acquisition teams and all the bureaucracy. You can deal directly with you know the senior decision makers and ha- make a real difference and have an impact. And number two is, assuming they're successful, they're going to you know, keep growing and, and you can grow with them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Those are, those are significant advantages. Um, you know, and I think there are other, there are other unique challenges, but yeah, if you can, you can work with a company in their, their early stages, let's say when they're between five to maybe a hundred employees, they probably don't have an internal recruitment team. They probably haven't put in a lot of SOX compliance or a lot of corporate bureaucracy so you can go in there and affect change very quickly and see the fruits of your labor. And they tend to appreciate what you're doing a lot more, too, because mm. you know people go to school dreaming of working for Google and Facebook and Netflix and all the fang companies in big tech. But they don't go in there and dream of working for a no-name startup that's just getting, just getting going, right? So they don't, they don't have the employer branding. They don't have the huge web presence. So they, they need us in a way, yeah. right? So it's a completely different experience working with those companies. You mentioned there's some unique challenges. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of moving parts. I think the term is uh, uh, these companies move the goalposts a lot. Right. Um, you know, things change so quickly that you know one day the requirements could be X, the next day, and in the next day it's completely different. Um, so you've got to do a lot of managing expectations and sometimes not having a lot of structure in place 
is uh, is a negative thing too because they they may not have a formal interview process or an offer process, you know, and they may they may start, you know, running off with candidates on their own, you know, instead of working through you and your process. So you've got to really get in there and and manage the expectations and a lot of things that are kind of assumed when you're working with enterprise size clients are not assumed with uh, with early stage startups. Makes sense. I, I mean, to me, it also carries more risk because I, I mean, from personal experience, I had a few clients who were startups in the kind of dot-com era. And uh, I, I can think of one example where I placed maybe half a dozen people and they didn't get their, and then, you know, the, the dot-com bubble burst, they didn't get their next round of funding and they started struggling. They didn't pay their bill and that was not fun. Oh, I see. I see. You know, I think we're fortunate that we've never had that issue. We've never <laughs> okay. had a collection issue with a client since we started. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we typically get in there and, and work with companies after they've received a significant round of funding. Yeah. Uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 million. So it's usually not yeah. an issue to pay a, a recruiting fee. Fantastic. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. All right, so let's switch gears and move into um, building your team. Talk me through, sure. like, because this is uh, a this is a crossroads that a lot of firm owners kind of come to. And there's two, you know, for, there's a fork in the road. They can either, you know, keep going as a solo practitioner and make a really good income and, and have a sort of uh, nice lifestyle, or they can sort of invest time and money in, in building out that infrastructure and, you know, hiring, onboarding, training, developing people. Um, which in the long run can pay huge dividends, but in the short term probably means they'll make less money and have more stress. Absolutely. So you, why did you choose to go down that road? It's, it's simply because, um, and I think you know, when you're looking at, at it from a business owner standpoint, you've got to look at what drives you, what you're passionate mm-hmm. about, and what's going to give you fulfillment at the end of the day. And um, I think the monetary aspect is great. You know, if I were just being a solopreneur, I could easily make half a million every year um, just running my desk and, and that'd be wonderful. So at a certain point, um, the money's great, but that's only going to take you so far, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to reach, uh, uh, you're not going to feel fully actualized or, or excited about your life's accomplishment um, just from the money that you make. Um, so for me, I get really excited. When I'm able to coach people, work work with them uh, in a team setting, and I can actually see them improve and grow and uh, and continue that process and and help them to coach others, I really like that people development aspect. Uh, so that's that's what drew me to 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 scaling. But that's what made me want to focus more on scaling a company. And then there's the the freedom aspect, right? If I if I continue to be a solopreneur. Yes, I can make half a million a year, uh, but I can't take off, right? I'm gonna, mm. I'm gonna have to keep working cr- like crazy hours like I did in the first couple of years. And you can only do that for so long, what, five, 10 years, but you're gonna get burned out. 
Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. So what's the sort of size of the business now? How many team members have you got? Yeah, we're still small. We've got five outside of me. And uh, okay. our plan is to get to 50 plus by 2025. Wow. Did you say 55 50, 50 plus, 50. Awesome. Yep. Fantastic. So, um, you know, one, one of the big challenges that recruiting firm owners confide in me is that it's ironically difficult to hi- make your own hires. Uh, internal recruitment is, uh, is a challenge. It's hard to find really, really good people who you actually want to work with. And, and um, sometimes you think they're going to be good and they don't work out. And so then you've wasted a lot of time, effort, money, you know, working with someone. And then you, six months down the road, you're, you're no further forward. Um, what's been your experience of, of attracting, developing, retaining people? I would agree with what you said 100%. You know, and I would, I would even add to that. If you hire the wrong people, six months later, not only are you not going to be further forward, you're going to be backwards. Right, right. <laughs> Financially and organizationally and uh, in terms of your company image because turnover doesn't look good to anybody. Uh, so, so let me ask you this question. What, what mistakes have you made? And, and, you know, it sounds like you're, you're speaking from experience there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've made all of those mistakes. I think I was, I was overconfident in the beginning and thought, oh, you know what? I'm a good recruiter. How hard can it be to recruit other recruiters, right? But it's even more difficult than recruiting software engineers. So I think it was a very accurate statement you made before. So the first mistake I made was being overconfident. The second one was trying to hire people based on my gut feeling instead of uh-huh. a systematic or a, a, an unbiased results-driven process, which is what we have now. Um, another mistake I made was, was um, not working on myself enough initially to make sure I was being the best manager and leader of my team. Interesting. Wow, this is good stuff. So let's talk about number two for a second, uh, because it's funny, uh, you know, you would think because of the field we work in, we would be really good at interviewing and run a, a, a very rigorous hiring process. But I find owners are there. They do run on gut feeling. Yeah. What do you think? I think yeah. I like her. Okay. Let's, let's hire her. Right. Right. So what, what does your hiring process look like right now? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a four or five step process now. And the first call is, uh, is usually with myself. I get on the phone with, uh, with an internal candidate and just get a feel for, you know, what their current situation is and, and start to, uh, discuss our culture and see if that aligns with, with the way they like to work and, and see if, try to get a general feel of, uh, of their overall accomplishments and what they've done. So the first call is very conversational. It's introductory. After that, I will put them on a video call with one of the, the individuals on my team so they can get yeah, so I'll I'll put them on a a Zoom call with one of the members of my te- on my team so they can get their perspective as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, I think what makes our process really unique is we've developed something called a full desk assessment, which we made that gives us a bird's eye view of their level of mastery and hard skills when it comes to running a desk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last part of that assessment is talking really uh, uh, going over their billing numbers over the past couple of years with a fine-tooth comb and making mm-hmm. sure uh, they're at the level of, of, uh, of success that's going to be required for our environment. Interesting. So that sounds awesome. You're going after experienced recruiters. Why did you decide to do that instead of, um, you know, just grow your own people and then they have no bad habits and you can get them working exactly how you want them to work? Yeah, great question. Great question. I think, you know, I think there's a fallacy in that, right? That if you hire entry level people, they're not going to have bad habits. Everyone has bad habits. Okay. You, have, you have bad habits from ever since you were you were a kid in elementary school. Everyone's got bad habits. So I think that's that's a myth that you can hire people as a clean slate. No one's a clean slate. Um, but what really drove us to make the decision is thinking about the kind of culture that we wanted to build and going back to why I originally started the company. I started the company because of my frustrations around KPIs, micromanagement, abrasive management, and that party culture that you find in most recruiting firms. I was done with that. You know, that's great if you're 
21, 22, 23, just out of school, and all you want to do is party and have fun on the weekends, wonderful. But when you've got a young family, um, when you have other responsibilities outside of work, when you're, you're focused on building a career and not just having a job so you can make money, but you want to build something that's lasting and significant, that kind of environment is not conducive to that kind of thinking. So with that in mind, working from, you know, our vision is number one. Number two, we've got to look at, okay, what kind of individuals are going to align with that vision? Who's going to fit that? And the kind of people that we find ourselves attracting are individuals that have the same frustrations. Maybe they've been, been in recruiting for two, three, four, five, ten plus years. They're good at what they do. They know how to generate results on a consistent basis, but they are tired of being micromanaged. They're tired of people asking them, you know, what their call numbers or what their call time was for the week. Um, and how many client meetings did they go on and, you know, uh, you know, look at these numbers or look at that or attend this meeting or attend that or we're going to this company trip. Um, you know, they're tired of all those things and they just want to come in. They want to work. They want to deliver the maximum value for their clients and candidates um, and have a supportive leadership team that is not overbearing but is there when they need them to be. And that's what we're building. So individuals that have that mindset are instantly attracted to to our culture. Uh, individuals that you know need a lot of training, or you know aren't sure if they want to be in recruitment long term, or you know are scared of sales or or nervous about business development. Those kind of individuals don't do well in in our environment. We don't have a formal training program, so they've got to they've got to have a lot of the basic skills when they come to us, and we can take someone from being uh, great to excellent. But we can't take someone from being average to great. We're not set up for that. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But let me play devil's advocate for a minute here, George, because I am a KPI man. And I don't agree with abrasive, overbearing management at all. Like, it should be more about coaching and helping people to achieve their full potential. But I like measuring things and having process goals that keep me on track to hit my outcome goals. So as an example, I've recently taken up running. I, I never did it before in my life until like since I was in school um, until maybe six months ago. And I like being it. So I, it would be pointless for me to go out and just say, okay, I'm going to just run as best I can for as long as I can. Because uh, I don't feel like I would make progress. I So I've got an app on my phone that helps me to track you know, how far I've run, uh, what my average um, number of, you know, minutes per kilometer that I've run. So my pace, um, I'm interested in getting like a heart rate monitor so I can track my my heart rate. Um, I can see like progress, I can see improvement. And for me, like KPIs are similar. You, by analyzing your metrics and your ratios, you can identify scientifically, well, where are the places I can put some focus and, and improve so that I get better results with less effort so I can work smarter here. And yep. so that's, I think, the value of KPIs. And, and I feel like without that, people kind of drift and they get off track, even if they are experienced and they know what they're doing. Yep. Yep. And, and I do not disagree with you. I think the most important thing that you said uh, just now is that you like to track KPIs and, and you it's self-imposed, right? But imagine if you had uh, a manager who was managing your your running efforts or your your hobby of running, and they were micromanaging you on KPIs. You'd probably quit running in the next few months because it would it would just be frustrating if they, you know, if they called you into meetings two three times a day and grilled you on how fast you ran that mile and what your foot strike is like or what your heel strike is like and fix your posture and do this and do that. So I think KPIs are great when they're self-imposed. And I'm, I'm personally a numbers guy. So, uh, I mean, I've always, when I'm sourcing or I'm prospecting, I'm timing myself because I not only want to look at what are my KPIs, but I want to look at my efficiency and how I'm, how I'm being a good steward to my time every single day and how can I pack more productivity into each hour. So I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I just don't believe that you should impose your own metrics or your numbers on someone else. 
because everyone's mm. got different numbers. You know, mm. if you or I are sitting in a, in a firm, you may, may, you may need to make 100 calls a week. I may need to make 300 calls a week, and we can mm. both be delivering the same results. So there's, there's some subjectivity in there, um, and you can't put everyone in the same box. So we, we still have uh, KPIs in our firm, but it's all self-directed. I don't set KPIs for my recruiters. They set their own KPIs. Well, first, they look at their financial goals, and they're mature enough to reverse engineer their financial goals because they're commission-driven. They want to make more money. They can reverse engineer what their KPIs need to look like on a quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily basis. And if they don't have that level of maturity, they're not the kind of individual we want on our team. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So – George, um, I have to ask, like, what has been your experience during this crazy pandemic? Because, uh, you know, the vast majority of recruiters are finding it really tough at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we've been uh, we've been very fortunate. I think that the niche that we're focused on, um, like I said in the beginning, is uh, the demand is is just constantly going up. It is somewhat recession proof when you look at what what software does uh, today in a lot of industries. It's essentially the backbone of almost any, any industry you can think of. Um, there's, there's some tech or software backing that. So I think that aspect has made it somewhat recession-proof. And because of that and because of our daily focus and uh, our emphasis on new business development um, and our unique message, we've been able to, to maintain uh, our revenue and our, our billings throughout the pandemic. We haven't seen much of a dip. There's been a little bit of a challenge with certain clients that uh, were more effective than others and, and put things on hold. And we've made an effort to keep in touch with those individuals and those companies so that when they are ready to hire again, we still have that relationship intact. But by and large, uh, we've been running steady. And in fact, we brought on new business in spite of the pandemic. I think pandemics like these or any kind of any kind of crisis or economic recession or anything like that obviously presents a lot of challenges and issues, but there's always a silver lining and there are always unique opportunities for people that know how to take advantage of them. So for us, we've seen uh, our competition thinning out. There are a lot of recruiters I've been keeping in touch with in our, our key markets who are no longer in recruitment because they simply threw in the towel. They thought, oh, well, COVID's here. No one's going to hire. Um, you know, let's throw in the towel. Um, but George, okay, what you're saying is astonishing because um, I, I know plenty of recruiters who definitely haven't thrown in the towel. They're still, you know, uh, they're still fighting the good fight. But um, you're one of the few people I've spoken to whose whose figures have not um, been affected. And so I'm just... And, and, and that includes other recruiters who are focused on technology, um, you know, who, who you, you, I don't think it's necessarily that your industry is recession proof. I think there must be something else going on. And that's what I would like to uncover here is, I mean, clearly you're, you've got a mindset that is very strong here and you're looking at, you know, uh, you're looking at this as a as a challenge. You've used that word a couple of times, um, and as an on opportunity. But what changes did you guys make in order to to adjust in order to make sure that you were able to maintain your your revenues? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you know one of the I, th- I think it stems from the way you think. I, I really do believe that. Um, and I've for as long as I can remember, I've had a very strong internal locus of control. Yeah. It's about it's about what I can control. I am responsible for the outcome of everything in my life. I am responsible. There are things that I can't control, but I can always control how I react to it, how I adapt, and how I adjust. And I think that that mindset is uh, is something that has rubbed off on my team members, and uh, a lot of credit goes to them. You know, they could have. They could have chosen to uh, to complain and say, "Hey, you know, we've got a pandemic. We can't we can't do this. You know, let's just sit back and uh, and ride this out or wait it out." But you know, when when the lockdown started, we got together as a team 
and uh, we did our our regular Zoom call, and and I reassured everyone on the team that we're not we're not looking at layoffs. We're not looking at uh, at letting go of anyone on the team because we've worked really hard over the past few years to curate such an awesome group of recruiters. It would be a tragedy to be short-sighted and, and let them go because of a, a short-term challenge. So I think that gave them some reassurance. And something else I also told them is what I just told you, that mm-hmm. you know uh, a lot of our competition's thinning out. This is a unique opportunity. We've got a choice here. We can either sit back and wait for this to go out or, or wait for this whole thing to blow over, or we can go on the offensive. We can have the mindset that there are companies that are going to be hiring despite the pandemic, and we're going to go out and find them. And that's exactly what we did. Awesome. So, and by the way, I, I love what you're saying about locus of control and um, that is a theory in psychology, but it actually relates to stoicism. And it, uh, Marcus Aurelius said something very similar to that. Um, what practical specific steps have you guys taken in order to really um, be proactive and, and seize this opportunity to continue growing in spite of what's happening? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think it has served to help us hone in a couple of things. Number one is candidate quality, making sure we are are truly representing the best of the best. So we went back and looked at all of our our recent placements for the past 12 months, look for patterns in the candidates that we placed, and put that into a grading system. So now we are grading candidates that we're, we're talking to uh, on a regular basis or recruiting. And, mm-hmm. you know, look, we, we want to build relationships with everyone who, who, uh, who's in our field. Uh, we're very long-term focused. But in the short term, we can't afford to spend our time with everyone. So we spend the majority of our time with candidates who are highly, highly placeable. And, and the reason why that's so important now is because – with the companies that are hiring, the perception of a lot of those hiring managers is that there is a glut of talent or there's an excess mm. of talent in the market. So right. that has caused them to, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, increase their standards, increase the technical bar for the people that they do hire. Mm. So their expectations have gone way up. So we've got to raise our game as well. We've got to improve our candidate quality. We've got to improve our frequency of communication and the quality of communication with our clients. Phone calls aren't enough. We've done several Zoom calls and weekly calibration calls with our, our top clients to make sure that we're perfectly calibrated and aligned to the point where, you know, one of, one of the, the recruiters, one of the senior recruiters on my team got a job order maybe three weeks ago, submitted three candidates and closed the position two days ago. Fantastic. 40K fee in the midst of a, a pandemic because nice. there's, there's weekly calibration. There's a very, very high focus on candidate quality. And another thing is teamwork. You know, um, I think a lot of times when you get into crisis, people, they switch into like their, uh, I don't know the right way to say it, but they go into like panic mode and they, mm-hmm. they think about, okay, how can I just protect what's mine or how can I just take care of myself? Instead of doing that, we have embraced teamwork more than ever and are focused on, okay, we've got, we've got these positions. Let's look at all these. Let's work all of these positions. One thing I tell my recruiters is we've got several, several great positions to work on the board. Work on those positions like they were yours, even if they're your colleague's position. Mm. Cool. I think that's, that's a big that's been a big focus of, of, uh, of the team recently. So we're making sure there is excellent coverage across the board with yeah. high-quality candidates, regardless of who owns that position. I like it. That makes sense. Let's talk about business development, though, because that's the bit uh, – I, I agree with what you're saying about candidate quality and, you know, really focusing on that. But at the same time, a lot of recruiters are saying, Mark, I need requirements. I don't have enough orders to, to work on. How have you guys been successful at, you know, attracting new clients and getting new clients on board? I don't think we've changed our, uh, our business development efforts. 
at all. I think the only thing we've changed is our frequency and level of aggression. Okay. <laughs> we've increased our, our aggression, and, and that hasn't come from the top down. That's come from, from the recruiters themselves. They're commission-driven. They want to make money. They've increased their output. So more phone calls, more emails, uh, uh, more outreach on LinkedIn, working referrals, working our network, reaching out to individuals um, and, uh, and, and seeing how we can assist at this time, uh, going back to previous placements and, and working referrals through that angle as well. Got it. So you haven't, you've changed the volume of activity um, rather than your overall approach. Absolutely. We've changed the volume of activity and something we've done recently, which I, I don't think has really impacted our recent success, but I, I really believe it's going to impact our long-term successes. We've started a content marketing strategy um, cool. through our website and blog that's going to help to position us as a leader in the, uh, in the tech recruitment space. So we've, we've invested more in our brand image recently. You know, that's, that's not, that has nothing to do with the short-term results, but I think that's yeah. going to pay dividends long-term. Yes, agree 100%. And by the way, if people want to check out George's website, it's Kofi hyphen group.com. That's K-O-F-I dash group.com. I tell my clients that content marketing is like going to the gym. You can't like go to the gym three times and then, you know, expect that when you look in the mirror, you, you're going to be transformed, right? It's, um, it's a sort of medium to long-term uh, play where you're, you're, you can definitely get results and, and absolutely transform what you look like and, and, uh, you know, your health, your fitness and so on, but you have to be consistent and it's not like to get a job order tomorrow kind of thing. It's, um, it's more of a longer term thing. Um, what specifically have you got, are you guys doing for content marketing? Yeah. Yeah. We retained, uh, an external, uh, and we retained an agency, uh, mm-hmm. to work with us on a monthly basis. And the first thing they did is they revamped our website. And okay. made it a lot more relevant to our our focus. Um, yes. And the next thing they did was work on our SEO efforts and, and improve our overall web presence. Uh, we've always been collecting online reviews through Trustpilot and, and other methods and Google, but they've put those at the forefront and are finding and are doing things to help us uh, uh, make that more visible. Um, right. We've curated case studies and success stories and added those to our website. And uh, like I mentioned before, we've got a blog now where we're going to be sharing success stories and, and in general adding value to software engineers and hiring managers through topics that are top of mind for them. You know, one of our recent posts was how to hire remote software engineers. We're putting out one next week about, uh, about what data scientists can do to, uh, to have better interview success. So things like that. Focusing on topics that are top of mind, um, and then obviously showcasing through those topics that we can assist in those areas. But I think one of the things that we're doing that's a bit unique in there is reaching out to micro influencers in our network. So people like CTOs, VPs of engineering, uh, very successful engineers at, at big tech, and having them actually share their insights and their input in our blog articles. So yeah. it's, it's more focused on them. Instead of, hey, we're a recruiting firm, this is our opinion, listen to us. It's more of, you know, we're connected to these great people. This is the topic we're going to discuss. These are what the experts say. Brilliant. I love that strategy. And uh, George, hey, you should start your own podcast as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, maybe uh, I'll carve out some time in the future. I don't know where I'd fit it in right now. Well, fair enough. But if you want help on that, let reach back out and I can... Um, I can point in the right direction. Um, I may take you up on that. Yeah, no, awesome. So by the way, uh, for our listeners, I have a video of a presentation that I delivered a few months ago in London at an event called Retained Recruiters Academy. And that was, uh, the topic was on how to leverage content marketing to build your personal brand and position yourself um, in order to attract higher paying clients on a retained basis. So I will link to that in the show notes. If you want to, if you want to grab uh, a copy of that video, then, uh, then you'll be able to do that. So George, uh, you told me uh, previously that 
you've had some real success with coaching your team members. Um, and I think there's one case where you had someone who had a lot of potential, but wasn't quite firing on all cylinders and you helped them to really increase their success. Could you say a little bit about that? Absolutely. In fact, year to date, that person's our top producer right now. They are, um, they're, 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 I'd be surprised if they don't bill more than 400 K this year. And, and this individual had a very rough start, um, and, and I think the key word here is coach, right? Not, not manager, right? Because what a manager does and, and what I experience at most firms is they look at your KPIs, they look at your numbers and it's like pulling levers. Okay. Well, you need more clients, make more phone calls and, uh, and have more client meetings and you'll have more clients. You need more submittals or, or candidates in play. Well, send more emails, make more calls. You have more candidates, but it's not that simple. Right. You have to look at, I think you have to go deeper and you have to treat things on a case by case basis. With this individual, they had some misconceptions and some, some, frankly, some fears about how they were being perceived when they're doing business development. And when those misconceptions and fears and paradigms were shifted, now they're fantastic at business development. It cool. Was, so it wasn't a skill thing. It was it was simply a mindset. They were so worried about what potential clients were thinking about them when they were sending emails. And you know, one thing we discovered is that this person was trying to do business development primarily through email and, and LinkedIn, but they're they're a natural extrovert and are actually much better at cold calling. They enjoy hmm. cold calling. Brilliant. So wh- how did you identify because if someone's not performing uh, initially, then, you know, most owners are thinking, uh oh, that was maybe a hiring mistake. And uh, we'd better, you know, we'd better limit the damage here. Uh, but you decided that, you know, this person was really good. They just weren't quite getting the results yet. How did you make that determination? Yeah, and I and I had some of those concerns in the back of my mind as well. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. You know, you're always thinking from a financial perspective, okay, how can we minimize our risk and you know, should we should we cut our losses at this point? But then there's there's the human side of it too. Um and, and when you talk to this individual and you, you listen to what their what uh what their goals were and the kind of effort that they were putting in and you could see the effort, not because we we check KPIs. I don't check KPIs, right? So I don't even know, you know, what, how many candidates he was submitting or things like that. But in, in our weekly one-on-ones, he would describe to me what he's doing on a daily basis. And I could see the, the effort and the focus that he was, he was putting into his work. And something that was, uh, was something that, something that helped tremendously on his part was that he's very, very coachable. If you give, if you give this person, or this guy instruction, he's going to go out and implement it with 10 out of 10 effort and then come back and give you feedback on how that went. So that made the process a lot better too. Awesome. It was, it was a very iterative process. You know, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that we discovered right away. Like, Hey, okay, you're struggling with business development or you're struggling to close deals, go out and do this. It wasn't that simple. It was, uh, it was a long-term coaching process it took us a couple months to really isolate what was going on um, with his way of thinking, what was going on with his approaches. And then we turned that and things just started clicking for him. He pulled in a, a couple of clients and um, something that helped as well is he's got an area in recruitment that he's carved out as uh, as a as a very, very, I mean, he's an SME in this this one area. So his only challenge was getting clients on the phone and getting those job orders. Once he pulls job orders, I mean, a couple months ago, he had uh, a couple of openings in, in this space, sent six candidates and filled two positions. Beautiful. So, yeah, his level of quality and expertise in this area is great. He was just struggling on the BD side. Got it. And SME, you mean subject matter expert? Yeah, yeah. He like He's, he's almost like... Uh, it's pretty. It's like a geek or a nerd in this area. I mean, he's got like an individual passion. I think he reads books about this area. He reads blogs. You know, he's he's just a, a big fan of this particular area of, in tech. So he loves talking to those people, 
And, uh, and frankly, they love talking to him because how many times do you find a tech recruiter who actually knows what they're talking about? Well, absolutely. That's a huge advantage. And, and that's, that must be extremely satisfying for you to have helped someone to, to really hit their stride. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the most exciting part of my, of what I'm doing now when I see people being successful and I, nothing would make me happier than in 2025 to have 50 people like this individual who are firing on all cylinders, making good money, paying off their debt and doing it in, uh, you know, in a location that they choose where a hundred percent remote and having that autonomy to, to drive their destiny. You know, my, my recruiters tell me almost on a weekly basis that they feel like they're running their own firm. They feel like they're running their own business. And Beautiful. I, I really believe that that's what recruitment was designed to be like. I hear you. And listen, having spoken to you, I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to hit your goal of getting to, 20, you know, 50 plus people in the next few years, George. So I will be uh, following your journey closely. And thank you for, you know, sharing your experience with us today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Mark. All right. Well, have a great day. And uh, let's, let's talk again sometime before too long. Yep, will do. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.